Chapter Fifteen of For Fifteen Years by Louis Albach, translated by Elizabeth Warmly Latimer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen, The Verdict Reversed. The indictment told Roger nothing new. The legal particularity with which the circumstances were stated worried him he turned as soon as possible to the depositions and cross-examinations of the witnesses the personality of jean mortier seemed for the first time to stand forth out of the shadows in which until then it had been hidden from his view jean mortier appealed to his good character pleaded his poverty his love for wife and child thus defending himself so far as roger was concerned more effectually than if he had subtly refuted the charges in the indictment one by one roger looked over the tops of his papers at florence she seemed to him to have in her simplicity a noble bearing a part of her inheritance from the man whose spirit rose before him he thought she must be very like her father though emilienne's features softened and refined were decidedly those of her daughter her likeness to both parents attested their close union she had the sense of honour common to them both their purity and innocence where had she been poor little thing while her father jean mortier stood up in the court before what is called the bench of infamy and invoked his child's pure trust in him as something to be pleaded in his own defence did she stay lonely and unhappy with some woman in the neighborhood waiting for her father to be acquitted and her mother triumphantly to return ah oh, thought roger if i only could have been her little companion then he submitted the deposition of pierre mortier's notary monsieur Bossolot, to a careful examination the reader may remember that its benevolent leaning toward the prisoner had told against him the man whose mission it had been to make known to jean mortier a few hours before the murder the cruel way that fate had used him the kind-hearted man who had witnessed jean's deep sorrow owned that he had from the first had a presentiment of evil but he never dreamed of a murder only of a suicide roger again trembled Maitre Bossolot, as well as Madame Mortier, had had the same idea that Jean might commit suicide. This, which to the jury seemed a presumption against the prisoner, was to Roger quite the reverse. The shame of an unjust accusation, together with his actual ruin, had been enough to overwhelm him. His real crime of self-murder, which was not among the charges brought against him, challenged Roger's deep compassion. When he read the account of the pathetic scene where jean called on his wife to testify in his behalf and when emilienne stretching out her arms to him responded by a proud assertion of her faith in him and of her love roger let two big tears drop on the newspaper florence saw them she rose and softly drew near him she was pale and trembling she put one hand on roger's shoulder and said in a voice that was almost a sob don't you find anything i was beginning to hope just now roger seized her hand pressed it hard against his lips and when she drew it back cried eagerly ah how i love you these words were only a promise of pity 
Florence responded in a trembling voice. You frighten me. Don't be afraid, stammered Roger. Then without knowing exactly what he said, for he seemed to himself to be walking in a state of somnambulism, he went on. It is I who have cause to be afraid. Let me go on. He let the girl's hand drop, and she went back to her seat. He resumed his reading. The name of his father again attracted his attention. The bailiff called to the witness stand Monsieur de Monterey, who, standing up before the court, swore solemnly to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. When children sit in judgment on their parents, their judgments are implacable. They accept the painful duty in the spirit of martyrdom, and feel it no sacrilege to distrust where distrust seems necessary roger said to himself with horror as his father began his evidence i wonder what falsehood he is going to utter he said it in his heart he did not mean it it was involuntary it will be remembered that at the trial gaston's testimony was in favor of the prisoner but his sympathy, so far from gratifying Roger, was dreadful to him. The son had taken the measure of his father's unreliability. He saw exaggeration in his eager assurances that he believed in the innocence of the prisoner. The court had asked Monsieur de Monterey to give his impressions of the deceased and to repeat what he had said of him before the juge d'instruction. Gaston, with an embarrassment very perceptible to his son, repeated his impressions. He said that the man seemed coarse and fierce and very disagreeable. He undertook to picture the scene of the murder and all that he supposed might have taken place. Jean, according to him, ruined, cleaned out. The gambler had been so imprudent as to use this slang word, which is part of the jargon of the gambling table, had probably appealed to the generosity of a rough brutal man repulsed insulted and jeered at he had lost his head and in a moment of anger and despair as he brandished his cane he had struck him rouget uttered a cry and sprang to his feet a flood of light poured in upon him it was his father his father who, when no one had said a word about any weapon but a hammer, had used the word cane, a cane brandished over the head of the victim. All at once, Roger remembered a day when his father and mother had spoken before him of a cane with a handle very like a hammer. Only forty-eight hours ago, had not his father threatened him with a cane? and had not his mother in wild terror flung herself between them when at once monsieur de monterey ashamed of his anger had almost apologized to his son he remembered other things besides facts and suspicions that had been floating in his brain grew clear to him instantly his memory seemed full of them at his cry florence had started up and again came toward him he heard her step but with an almost angry gesture so completely was he unconscious of what he was doing at that moment he pushed her from him he saw instead of love a vision of the past frightful threatening full of horror 
he wanted all his faculties to look at it all his attention to be concentrated on it for as the scene rose before him a voice seemed to cry out from the columns of the newspaper and to be echoed by something in his own heart he read the rest of his father's deposition standing jean mortier's lawyer had caught up the word cane that escaped from monsieur de monterey and had used it in his argument to break down the hammer theory he had tried to demonstrate the impossibility of killing a man with an instrument that had to be handled at such short range the necessity of at least having the hammer fixed on a long handle to obtain the necessary swing yes yes cried roger in his heart that was it it was a cane it must have been a cane he had the self-command to go on and finish his father's deposition the reader will remember that it ended by a reiterated protestation from gaston that he was ready to swear that he believed jean mortier to be virtually innocent my god cried roger dropping back into his chair he felt that this affirmation of his father's was an additional baseness whereas upon the trial it was looked upon as a proof of noble and generous feeling roger's agitation was so great and the only conclusion at which he could arrive was so terrible that he wanted to gain strength to bear it even by strengthening his own horrible suspicions he went on reading the paper the medical experts testified after his father it may be remembered that one of them demonstrated the possibility of murdering a man with a small upholsterer's hammer and that the other who was older affirmed and demonstrated on the contrary that the impetus given by the swing either of a long-handled hammer or a thin cane would have been necessary to make wounds so deep as those found upon the body roger had nothing more to learn he knew the papers dropped from his hand and were scattered at his feet the strange pricking sensation that runs through the body when subject to an electric current passed over him and his fingers became rigid the doors of his memory stood now wide open his own boyish recollections poured a cruel flood of light upon the dreadful story he saw a scene that had taken place between his father and mother fifteen years before he did not understand it at the time and yet even then it had vaguely alarmed him he saw himself in the salon of the little hotel in the rue d'anjou a child in petticoats standing by his mother's side leaning on her knee a servant came in bringing a cane whose handle was something very like a hammer at the sight of that cane monsieur de monterey had flown into a rage he had seized it broken it in pieces and flung it into the fire the boy much astonished and distressed by seeing a thing he would have liked to own thus thrown away had taken the tongs and tried to get it out of the fire and roger could remember his mother's sad voice saying let it alone my child your papa is right it is better it should never be found yes those were his own mother's words did she know then that the cane was important evidence 
that afternoon he was with his mother alone she had wept long and bitterly and in his great pity for her he remembered that he had cried too and had said don't cry my dear little mamma he will never do so any more from that day he could feel that his respect for his father had decreased and that he had been a more tender boy in his behavior to his mother yes that scene had left a deep impression on his mind and now the wound it made was again opened and bleeding in respect to that cane he had been very naughty or rather he had really meant to help his mother he wanted to carry out her wish that no one should ever find it and next morning he had gone into the salon knelt down before the hearth where the fire had not been rebuilt and scratched in the cinders with his little nails until he found the metal handle of the cane and put it in his pocket oh how frightened he had been when he met his mamma at the parlor door she had suspected nothing she did not even notice his little dirty fingers but he had told her a falsehood how well he remembered that falsehood it was his first his only lie he remembered another scene one evening after a long stroll in the bois with his father when they came home they found the drawing-room a blaze of light monsieur and madame de monterey had then talked in his presence of the murder in the bois de boulogne and as roger heard them mention an upholsterer's hammer he had asked what kind of a hammer that was and his mother in her grave low voice had answered him something very like the handle of your papa's cane everybody had seemed disconcerted and he was disconcerted most of all for had he not picked that very handle out of the ashes and was it not still hidden away at first he had taken great pains to conceal it putting it constantly in some new place looking upon it as something he had no right to own afterward when he became a schoolboy he had kept it as a souvenir of his very early boyhood though he could have given no good reason for the value he seemed to attach to the broken toy he had it still upstairs in his own chamber in a corner of one of his drawers he wanted to look at it again to examine it to see what it might reveal to him now as he rose he thought at first that he was going to fall he could not make a step forward but his sinews stiffened into steel in another moment he could stand and a moment afterward he found himself making his way to the door moving stiffly like a ghost or like a man in armor florence in her amazement dare not stir warned by roger's previous gesture not to disturb him she sat motionless in her chair with her hands clasped before her she could not understand roger's state but she did not wish to break in upon it it seemed to her a sort of stupor inspired by amazement at the truth which had suddenly been made plain to him roger apparently had forgotten her he did not turn toward her he walked straight to the door quitted the parlor leaving the door open behind him and taking no notice of the papers lying on the floor florence distinctly heard his steps resounding on the staircase his footsteps were heavy as he went up the stairs it seemed as if he meant to let every one in the chateau know that he was going to his room while he went slowly thus to his own chamber 
thinking over everything connected with the object he was in search of florence rose and began looking at the newspapers and papers lying on the floor but she found out nothing she felt some scruples too about disturbing them or even touching them her heart beat loudly she glanced around her through one of the glass doors she saw her mother in the garden she was tempted to rush to her to call to her to give her the first inkling of the surprise in store for her to tell her of her anxiety of her hopes for it was evident to her that roger must almost have arrived at the truth but then she thought why should i take from roger the pleasure of announcing his discovery he has shown so much zeal in making it i must leave him the honor of our triumph emilienne on her part saw that her daughter was looking at her but she waited and would not appear to turn her head toward the white parlor she curbed her impatience and anxiety by gathering rose leaves the luncheon hour was at hand the bell would soon ring and generally five minutes beforehand the family would meet together in the garden that the meal might not be kept waiting by the absence of any one of them monsieur and madame de monterey would no doubt soon join madame emilienne that was another reason for florence to wait and not be treacherous to roger he was not long absent she heard him coming down with the same step with which he had gone up the stairs when he stood on the door-sill framed by the woodwork of the door-posts his face was livid as if he had drunk poison at this sight florence could not contain herself she gave a scream and was rushing toward him roger put a finger on his lips to desire her to keep silence and holding something in one hand tightly clasped mute eager walking with an automatic step which seemed to make his whole body move at every stride he went toward the table where he generally sat when drawing unless he was at his easel a large sheet of drawing paper was always laid there ready for his sketches roger laid down before it the thing that he was clutching in his hand seized a pencil and began to draw it was strange to see a young man in such a state drawing something with precision growing paler and paler as he worked tearing his very soul in shreds vivisecting it with the point of his pencil first of all in one corner of the big sheet of drawing paper he sketched the thing that he had been up to his room to find then beneath it with feverish skill he drew a man in the act of striking another man with a cane at the end of which was a handle exactly like a polished metal hammer in every respect the shape and size of that of an upholsterer the man in act to strike though roger had not consciously intended to give him that likeness was unmistakably fatally like monsieur de monterey just as the drawing was being finished the luncheon bell began to ring roger did not hear it he was absorbed in the drawing when he had ended he stood with his eyes fixed on the work his mouth was set and rigid as the dead florence had not moved she had by this time as much fear as hope she wanted to tell roger that the bell had rung for luncheon she saw her mother coming toward the room she knew she would now surprise them 
gabrielle had come downstairs and the voice of monsieur de monterey was heard gaily calling for roger roger heard him that voice sharp forced and falsetto broke up his catalepsy a gleam of wrath and passion shot from his eyes and suddenly gave place for a big tear he left the table but as he did so he lost his strength and staggering toward florence he dropped at her feet seized her hands dashed his head upon her lap and burst into tears what is it asked the young girl if you can find out nothing never mind i have found it i have found it all whispered roger lifting his head thank you said florence enchanted comprehending nothing of his agony believing only that his emotion was caused by the long strain or that it expressed his strong sense of the sufferings of her innocent father so long calumniated thank you she repeated lovingly and bending over him she pressed a long kiss on his hair he drew back it seemed sacrilege he sprang to his feet with a cry of terror what he saw was more than he was prepared for Amelian had come in quickly had gone up to the table with one glance she took in the drawing she saw the little hammer-like handle of the cane without a word without a cry she had possessed herself of it and of the drawing and holding them aloft in her clenched hands she rushed out of the room roger tried to stop her but he was forced to lean one moment against the doorpost to save himself from falling that moment enabled emilienne to launch her thunderbolt she rushed up to monsieur and madame de monterey who were standing together at the door of the dining-room with one hand she touched gaston on the elbow he turned round toward her she blazed with wrath and triumph murderer she said hoarsely with a ring in her voice which emphasized the word gaston had a sudden fit of epilepsy or apoplexy he grew livid and staggered backward gabrielle placed herself before him and pushing emilienne away cried you are killing him why not he has killed two replied emilienne the eyes of the two women met their glances crossed each other jean mortier's widow held up the little object that was like a hammer look at it she cried do you know this gabrielle staggered back in her turn overcome by surprise and horror where could it have come from emilienne held up the drawing and that do you see that too she cried gabrielle glanced toward roger who had rushed into the room he snatched the paper from the hand of madame emilienne who made no resistance and tore it into fragments but when he wanted to take back the piece of metal like a hammer she resisted and hid it in her bosom will you kill me that you may rob me she screamed out son of a murderer roger drew back abashed gaston seemed turned to stone but his stupor was caused by a rush of blood to the head he now dropped backward as if struck by lightning his head crashed on the door-sill of the dining-room and blood began to flow from the wound gabrielle unable to break his fall 
threw herself upon her knees and tried to raise him roger also rushed to the assistance of his father he caught emilienne's eye as he passed her thank you she said in a sharp tone of anger and satisfaction these were the very words that florence had used to him a few moments before and they were torture to him florence had stayed behind in the white parlor bewildered and uncertain what to do seeing imperfectly not daring to understand but dimly divining that she had set loose unwittingly some terrible misfortune her mother came up to her let us go she said what has happened the widow without stopping made a backward gesture with her hand as she walked on and pointed to the group in the dining-room there is the man she said who killed pierre and jean mortier florence trembled and bowed her head ah i knew it i always knew it the widow repeated as panting she drew her daughter after her by the power of her passion and they entered the detached part of the house where they lived florence followed her mother overwhelmed but without resistance when mother and daughter were in their own rooms emilienne flung on the table the little object like a steel hammer look there she cried it was with that he struck pierre mortier it is the handle of his cane poor roger think no more of him it is now his turn to suffer he must drink the cup of shame that we have drunk for years pack up your things no that would take too long get your hat and let us go we will not stay one moment longer under this roof where are we going asked florence she shed no tears for her mother's eyes were dry but her voice had a touching tone of tenderness where are we going to find a magistrate to bring the gendarmes to this house and death with them i think mamma that death has come already florence spoke softly looking through the window from which she could see into the dining-room ah this exclamation came from emilienne who resumed in a less strident tone i did not expect such a punishment the murderer accused tried sentence and executed by his own son vengeance is thine o oh god poor roger repeated florence now beginning to cry that second allusion to roger troubled madame emilienne she frowned we shall have time enough to pity him she said you too my child have been an instrument to serve god's justice you will suffer from it but you must feel no remorse it is your duty to avenge your father ten minutes after this madame jean mortier and her daughter left the chateau de helupois without knowing what was passing in the other part of the house without another word to each other or saying anything to the servants whom they met who frightened and bewildered stood aside and saw them go they had no idea where they were going only that they must quit that house of murder emilienne walked on proud fierce and resolute florence followed her with deep sorrow in her heart and something like remorse but full of steadfastness and courage End of chapter 15